Storytelling saves the world. Storytelling saves the world. With Jessica and Georgia and all their friends, you never know how the story's gonna end. But storytelling saves the world. Storytelling saves the world. Welcome back to the third season of Storytelling Saves the World, a podcast where you can find out more about integrating student movie making into your classroom. I'm one of your hosts, Jessica Pack. Once again, I'm here with my fabulous storytelling partner in crime, Georgia Terlahi. Hey, Georgia. Hey, Jessica. Greetings, salutations. And this is it. The last day of school is tomorrow. I can feel my body getting ready to release the great collective sigh. How are you feeling? Tomorrow at 1140, I'm winning the lottery. Like (laughs) it's official. I've won something big (laughs) and I project that I'm going to spend a lot of the next seven weeks next to the pool or in the pool. I think that's around the pool somewhere like (laughs) a whole pool theme. I think that is an excellent idea. I see you in my head. I see you tomorrow running out the door, like yelling with your hands up as the kids are leaving. Uh, that may or may not be happening. Like I can neither <laughs> confirm nor deny. <laughs> I may have to get there just in time to film that. <laughs> I I think we get like extra merit badges for this being like the day before, actually the night before the last day of school. And we're attempting to have intelligent conversation. Like right. Right. And really right now, complete sentences are kind of a stretch for us. So um, yes, I think we do get merit badges. <laughs> Between us have the appropriate number of brain cells, but on our own, yeah, it's a lot of just uh, grunting and, you know, hand gestures. (laughs) And also a lot of like the eyebrow communication, you know, we just raise one and you like level a a stare at a kid and they're like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's not summer yet. (laughs) It's a fun time of the year when you can do those looks at kids, like they're already trained and you don't even have to say anything. Like they know it's like, oh, I'm on her last nerve. I better just go back to my desk. (laughs) I have one kid who's like, oh, it's the last nerve. I'm going to tap dance on it. Like (laughs) this seems like a good plan. Well, listeners, in case you're relatively new to the podcast, Georgia and I bring a range of experiences to the show. I've been teaching middle school for the last 17 years, and my book, Movie Making in the Classroom, was just published by ISTE Books a few months ago. I'm also a California Teacher of the Year. And I am finishing up 34 years of classroom experience at the elementary level. Yes, I started teaching when having someone clap the erasers outside was a thing. I am currently an instructional coach. We've both been using digital storytelling in our classroom for about 25 years combined. Well, I'm super excited because as summer approaches, that means that ISTE Live is approaching too, Georgia. We have got a very full schedule there. We do. Uh, We're heading to New Orleans at the end of June. And Jessica, I know you have the schedule in front of you because you're more organized than I am today. So you want to tell listeners where we will be while we're at ISTE and when? Yes. Um, First, if you are a community leader, we will see you at the ISTE Leadership Luncheon. I'm very excited (laughs) to connect with people uh, far And and wide. We really have only seen over Zoom the last couple of years. We've got some digital storytelling friends that'll be there. I'm, I'm super stoked. 
Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. And we get to eat New Orleans crab cakes, which I'm super excited for. Yeah, They're like, do you want crab cakes or this other thing? And I'm like, oh, I, you had me at crab cakes. Crab cakes. Like, That's right. <laughs> Um, on Monday, we've got two major things going on. We'll have a creator lab from two to three called Contents Under Pressure, dealing with SEL movie making, using the sodas lesson frame, which we're super excited about. And then from five to six, we'll be doing an ed talk called Storytelling for All. So definitely uh, check out one of those opportunities. Tuesday, we're at the uh, Digital Storytelling Playground. And what time is that? That would be from three to five, my friend. I'm very excited because we are going to be working with Ryan from last episode from We Video. Um, and we're going to have a whole little station rotation model there at the storytelling playground. So come check it out. Come check it out. Play with us. We'll have some activities and, and fun things. And we'll actually have some student work you can um, look at as you walk around the room. And so, yeah, we're very excited about that as well. And then you can catch me at SD Central on Wednesday between 11 and noon for storytelling in a nutshell. We're doing some storytelling with Haiku, and I'm super excited to meet some readers there, sign some books. It should be a good time. That's exciting. Well, you know, last year we had a great ISTE Live experience as well, even though it wasn't in person. This year it's like face to face, which is super exciting. But um, one of the things we did last year was like a poster session on film festivals, right? Right. And we actually kind of mapped out how to do a film festival from some of the festivals we've done in past years. And we all we I think we have a video that we can share on our website that was of that poster session. And this year you got to participate with the secondary film festival, which was started up again with a couple of people in our district, which is exciting. You've probably heard us mention Digicom Learning before, which was a nonprofit here in Southern California. That um, that's kind of how Georgia and I met and started working together. Was through this nonprofit that was all about promoting and supporting digital storytelling, specifically movie making in classrooms. And so our guest today, actually, we kind of met her through that same wheelhouse. Her name is Jamie O'Neill, and she is a high school teacher in Desert Hot Springs. And um, Jamie, you have like the most interesting job ever. You're a part of a CTE pathway, and you have all of these great journalism kids and a program you've designed yourself. So welcome to the show. Tell us about everything that's you. Well, thank you. I, you know, became a teacher because I wanted to teach journalism. So it, it, I really do I always say I have the best job in the world. I really do. I just got really lucky with where I landed and I've been there 18 years and I'm not going to give it up until I'm ready to retire because it really is. And I really did design it. I wrote all the classes I wrote. I wrote the whole program and I started teaching journalism was not part of my program until 2018. Um, I had a CTE. I taught at first it was ROP many, many years ago. And then the ROP kind of ended and the district picked up CTE. And so the funding changed, but um, still journalism was disconnected from my pathway for a long time and always knew it should be, it should be the capstone. It should be the ultimate top of the pathway because it is indeed what CTE meant is meant to be. And that is to train students to work in 
the to, to work to work <laughs> in the field for for listeners that maybe don't know could you tell them what CTE stands for it's career tech education and um they there are pathways throughout our district in the high schools and i i think they hope one day to also connect them with the middle schools uh, to where you know they're it they're in a a pathway in middle school there's you know and they know that they're where they're going to go when they get to high school so um it really is training people to be on the job uh they have it's internships i'm right now so excited because next year should be my first year that um my digital video production my year two class will be a dual enrollment with college of the desert so when they're taking that class they're also taking the first film and broadcasting class at COD. So when they go to COD, they can jump right into the second class in their sequence. That's really exciting. I And I, Jessica and I have um, known you for a long time because we came up through the Digicom world together and work for Digicom. So it's great to see you because during the pandemic, everything went away and we haven't seen each other in a long time. So so glad that you're here today. It's my pleasure. Today's topic is is super like close to my heart because we totally have this, I guess, missing link for our kiddos who haven't been able to be recognized for their hard work. And your students in particular do such incredible things, Jamie. And I was so excited earlier this year when you reached out and um, kind of got the ball rolling on a really great recognition for our students' work. So. Um, we really want to talk with you about film festivals in general, and most specifically about Sunrise Secondary Student Film Festival, which you just finished spearheading. So, Jamie, tell us about it. Even when I was just a journalist, I loved film festivals. We used to get passes to the film festival, the International Film Festival. I just love them because it's an opportunity to meet the filmmakers and really learn, go behind the scenes and learn what they did and, and what it took. You know, I started having my students enter into film festivals. Palm Springs High School started their own little festival, um, and they did that for two or three years. It was one group of students that started in their freshman year. They wanted to do a film festival, and they did it for four years. And when they graduated is about the time Digicom came along and scooped it up. So it, it that film festival passed on. And then, you know, when Digicom folded, I just couldn't see not having one at all. You know, I think it's a great way for students to not only display their work, but see what other students in the district are doing. You know, it's like, you know, you can start to feel very isolated, especially us, because geographically we're separated from everybody. You know, that cross the freeway thing yeah. is, it's a big deal out here. And maybe you get that in Thousand Palms too, but it's, it's, it's a big issue for us. So. You know, I thought it was, uh, I just really like for them to reach out. We still attend the Palm Springs International Film Festival student days, and I just want to keep them rolling, <laughs> keep them seeing what other people are doing. Well, and it's, it's, just, it's a great opportunity to, for them, for the parents and families to come and have that moment where they see all the work that students have been doing, because they may not know all the ins and outs, but they know their kids are spending a lot of time on the work, but what it really is. So it's great to be able to celebrate it in a public forum with family, friends and neighbors and all that kind of stuff. It really is. And I mean, sometimes families are shocked at what at the 
the brilliance and the talent that their own child has displayed. Uh, sometimes I'm shocked, Adam, because I mean, I've had, I remember like maybe my fourth or fifth year of teaching video, I had a guy come in that he'd been in a lot of trouble. Like he was, he'd been in a gang and, you know, a tagger, he'd gotten in all kinds of trouble and he just focused right in on video and he was good at it. He came up with stories and he was really good. Like he just had that vision and he knew to move the camera around and, and, you know, back then I didn't even know as much as I know now. And I was, you know, I was always kind of flying by the seat of my pants in those days. And, you know, he created some great stuff and it, it made a big difference in his life. You know, he told me that he said this, I don't know how many kids have told me this class is why I come to school, you know, and that's whatever it takes to get him there and get him interested, um, you know, is a good thing. So I, I really Especially think if they haven't connected with anything before that really was their passion. And I know Jessica and I have no, have had that happen with our kiddos over the years, not only connecting with the passion, but also finding a voice because I mean, we're, I'm always surprised some students that are super quiet, you don't really ever hear them talk a lot. And then they make a video and all of a sudden you're like, wow, there's a lot going on in your head that I was not aware of. So that is always exciting to see too. It is. I had a student that was in my journalism class for several years and their senior year, I uh, usually with journalism, like the, after the seniors leave and it's kind of quiet, I, I give them something that's a little more creative and I don't make them, you know, always make them do an episode. It's like, do something like personal. And he did something so personal. I was he hardly said a word the whole four years he was there. And I like I had no idea of what he was really capable of. And he made his own personal little video. And it was so deep. It was called My Life. And it was like about the meaning of life as he saw it. And it was just, it was just brilliant. I was so shocked to see it. You know, and I, many times students have turned stuff in and I've said, wow, I what? You can do this? What? What if where have you been? <laughs> There's that whole complicated inner life of being a child that like, you know, kindergarten through senior and high school, you're still a kid. There's still like that piece of you that you're not super straightforward with adults in your life or, you know, certainly not your parents, certainly not your teachers all the time. And I think that that's really a great testament to how much kids want to share themselves. And it's just giving them the tools to be able to yes. do that. They just don't know how. I mean, they're not going to just come up and talk to you about something, but I, I have just dozens of amazing stories, you know, from students. Uh, one girl that came out as anorexic, she had never, ever told anyone. And she made a video and she made the video in her bathroom, like really in quiet and silence. And I mean, the quality of the video was just terrible, <laughs> but the, the, it was cathartic for her. And when I saw it, I was just so touched. And I, I, I kept her after class. I'm like, wow, this is really a powerful video. And she goes, yeah, I've never told anyone. I don't know if I've ever said it out loud. And I just was like, wow, that's, that's really something, you know, brave. That's so brave to be able to like speak your truth that you've been hiding because it also could lead you on a pathway of healing, you know, because once you speak your truth, 
then people can come and help you, That's you know, exactly. if you're willing to, willing to have it. And I would imagine you notice, like if you show these in your classrooms, the empathy among students is raised because they don't know what each other's going through. And right. that I always found that even in a fifth grade class is, you know, kids were shocked about what other kids were going through and they shared their stories. And, you know, I'm shocked often too. I had a girl this year, I had them write scripts. I don't have them write scripts every year because sometimes it's like, oh, I didn't want to read their terrible <laughs> scripts. But I, I got several good scripts this year and one girl wrote an 11 page script. So they had to write two pages, right? They had to write two pages. And she wrote an 11 page script. And then she filmed the whole thing. I made them film their, their script. They didn't have to film all of them, but they, they picked the ones they wanted to produce. She did the whole thing herself. She wrote it. She produced it. She did her camera. She starred in it. She took a tripod at home, did the whole thing herself. And it was very slow. Uh, it was called Toxic. And it was about um, her being in a toxic relationship with a boy who was really, really quite mean to her and put her down and put her down. And, you know, her trying to figure out why he followed all these girls and putting all these skinny girl pictures up on her wall. And, and it shows her turnaround to where she ends up taking all those pictures down and, and blocking him. And I, and I was like, Oh, wow. You know, but it was nine minutes long. And I thought, Oh my God, I, you know, so I told her you got to shorten it. So shorten, shortened it to seven minutes and you know, I'll be if when we played it in the classroom, I thought the students are going to be like, oh, they they gave they applauded. They actually applauded. And so and then they decided to put it in their own film festival that they produced and the audience applauded when it played. And I'm like, wow, that means a lot of girls can relate to that. That's amazing That's to right. me in high and school already. And probably uh, maybe afraid to talk about it. So again, like she opens the door for people to talk about it and like, you know, figure out how to deal with it. And this is a girl who just doesn't talk at all. Right. She's just quiet. So when did, um, so doing the Sunrise Film Festival, what part of the year did you get started? Even like with your first email to like plan? Just Oh, in- last year. Yeah. Last year before, just, just about the time I think school was out, I went, all right, now we're going to go back. I'm sure we're going back to in-person next year. I really was confident we'd be able to gather in one place, you know? And so I just, you know, reached out and said, Hey, let's do this. You know, I knew that I knew Jessica would be somebody who students would produce for it. Um, And I knew, you know, Donnie was at, at Digicom for so many years. And so they were my two key people I thought needed to be involved with it. And so, and then we met over summer and did a little bit of planning. Like, you know, we tossed around some different venues, but we ended up back there at Palm Springs High School. It's it's the smartest place for us. I mean, it's central and, you know, we don't have to pay for the venue. Yeah, that's always so a plus. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Operating with a zero budget is like an interesting place to be when you decide, okay, we're going to do this thing. And we have, oh, that looks like no funding. All right. How's that going to come together? I think we still have zero for next year too, but I, so then we needed, the only thing we really needed money for was awards. And so I started writing emails and I just, I, I shot it an email to one person and they said, try this person. And I gave it to them. They said, try that person. I pointed it there. And I like about six emails in someone finally came back and said, 
I think we can do that. Write to this person and tell them that I said it was okay. So I did it again and they they ponied up the $500. So nice. So it's kind of all about community connections then. Like for a listener who wants to try a film festival, it's like, that's where you start for your budget. Start reaching out into your network, crowdsource it and see what you can come up with. And you can also try, you know, um, seeing if you could get people to sponsor like businesses, you know, local businesses or, um, you know, we've talked about like we video maybe helping going forward at some time, you know, just your corporate sponsor, you know, it's worth asking. All they can do is say no. Right. So kind of like in terms of the flow of planning, we started out kind of figuring out some logistics and embracing our zero budget and the need for something for awards. Um, do you want to kind of talk about what we, what we tackled next? Well, uh, so I guess the next thing was really to put the word out to teachers so that they would bring us some videos so we'd have some competition and not just you and I <laughs> and, and and it did work which was out. a real which was a real like fear for a while it was like is it, it just it gonna was. be our two classes like making stuff <laughs> right and admittedly we had more than others but you know it happened with digicom too you know that you know it takes a couple years for people to go hey oh really so yeah, we once we got the word out a little bit to some of the teachers and you know, we got the venue secured and then we just needed a few judges and, and then it was then Donnie kind of took over with the paperwork end of it and the PR. She reached out to the district and let them know, "Hey, we're doing this. We want your blessing." And she knew the the people to push that forward from her years at Digicom. Me, I'm kind of the, I'm kind of a wild card in most situations. I'll be like, I don't care if the district knows that, whatever. But, you know, she, she did the right thing and reached out. And, you know, it's good to have district sponsorship because they're the ones, the district is the ones that gave us money for the awards. So it was good to be able to have their logo on it. And, and that's sponsorship from support from them, I should say. Uh, and then, you know, once we got all the films in, it was just a matter of like, figuring it out and having judges go in and vote on them and, you know, yes, no maybes, and then picking up all the yeses and relooking at all the maybes and, and yeah, it, it really, it, it's, I, I kept thinking it's really not that big of a thing to do, you know, it's not that hard, but then we got to the last few days and I'm like, ah, oh. <laughs> there, there was just a lot of little stuff at the end, you know, that getting the, the, the presentation itself ready and, and I can't say it went off without a hitch, but it did, it was good. <laughs> it was still good, even though there were a few hiccups. <laughs> so workflow wise, like coming up with, you know, making the basic decisions on your logistics, getting the budget in hand and figuring out what are you going to do with that and what type of recognition. Um, do you have suggestions for people about how to handle the recognition piece? Like the trophy situation or certificates? Like how, how did you make that call? Well, you know, we, we, we decided to sort out high school from middle school because the high schoolers obviously are going to make a, have a higher production quality. Um, not, not simply because, I mean, not only they actually have better equipment, I, I'm guessing they, you know, they have access to more equipment as well. So we sorted that out. And then, you know, 
we just kind of are saying, well, what are we teaching our students? You know, I, I try to teach good storytelling. Um, and so it, it seemed natural to have something for script or, you know, some uh, a price for a good story. Um, I, I, I lean pretty hard on camera. So it was natural to have something for cinematography. You know, so, I mean, I think the best way is to just figure out like, what is it that you got? You know, to look at your films. We didn't actually see our films before. We didn't see all of our films before we made up some of the categories. I mean, some of them were naturally, you know, we let's have a let's have a best over like a best picture, you know, for high school, for middle school. Let's have a best documentary. Let's sift them out into documentary narrative and curriculum, you know, because curriculum needs to be its own category because they're not they're not the best production quality because, of course, the curriculum teachers don't have time to say, okay, you need to do seven revisions <laughs> to this. You know, it's like you take what you, you get what you get, you know, and you're going to have a few that are really excellent and the rest of them are going to be okay, you know, good enough. <laughs> and so, you know, we, it seemed fair to sort them out in that way. And then we watched the films. We just bought a, we bought extra trophies. We bought it 30 trophies and said, okay, we know we're going to have these best ofs in these categories. Now we've got, you know, 15 trophies left over. We've seen the films. What do we think is a good prizes to get out for them? So it, you know, it was just kind of tailoring it to uh, what we got. And I think that's okay. We used to do that with the elementary film festival. We would look at the films and then decide the categories yeah. because um, it gave you a lot more breathing room and to tailor a show that, you know, some years you got more of one thing than the other. And um, it makes it kind of fun. It really does. I, I really liked that. And one thing that I liked that was uh, aside from the other film festivals that we've been a part of is that because it was teachers in charge, <laughs> we could just go, you know what, this doesn't work. Let's just do that. Yeah, you know, let's just let's just do it. <laughs> no one's here to tell us we can't. So let's just do it. We, we want to give a prize for best story about a family. <laughs> let's just call it that. You know, there were just a few decisions that we didn't have to. We didn't have anybody to answer to. We could just go, we know what works for our students. So I would think anyone who wants to do a film festival, do what works for your students. We did a film festival at our school. And I'm telling you, this was, I, I've done it several years, but the key there is that I've done it. And this is the first year that I said, I'm doing this other film festival, you guys do it. And I had the students do everything I'd done. I built a little, um, I built a spreadsheet just like we had for sunrise. Um, I put the links to the films in there and told them go, <laughs> go, you decide the films. And then I'm like, you, you have 45 minutes. You've got to fill 45 minutes and that's it that you, you know, and then they came back with 52. I'm like, got to cut seven minutes, go. They didn't cut that seven minute toxic video, though, <laughs> would have been the easiest, but um, they did. And you know what? They owned it for the we had more people show up than we ever have. And they owned it. They put everything together and they did all the work. And it was really, really a good way to go. Also, with Sunrise uh, and, and Donnie really pushed for it. And then I realized what a good move it was to have the students hosted. 
because it really, again, they own it that way. And the other students are going, Ooh, I want to do that. Right. Plus it's just more entertaining usually to have students do it than adults, you know, unless you get really entertaining adults. Right. <laughs> which, which I'm not, <laughs> I'm not funny. I do have the hair, but you know, you definitely have the hair. I'm shocked. You don't think you're funny. That's all I've got. I was definitely surprised about that one too. I'm like, wait a second. You're pretty awesome. Like don't discount that. No, I did like having a student host too. I thought that that was a really cool thing. And I had no idea that your kids planned their entire film festival on their own. That's super impressive. And I love that because it's really like, with film festivals in general, you're putting students at the center of the process and the recognition. And that's like taking it to a whole other level. So I'm super energized by that idea that kids are the ones executing the festival itself. Just one more question to kind of wrap up our discussion on film festivals, Jamie, if someone is just starting out, what is like the one or two pitfalls that they should do their best to like skip over? The main pitfalls, I would say, trying to do it all alone. It really, it really, really helps to have input from other people and also some help. All right. Good advice for us and for listeners. Um, Hey, do you want to play a game with us, Jamie? Sure. We're going to do five and 60. Jessica is going to set her timer for 60 seconds. And we are going to try to do this in 60 seconds. We're not always very lucky. Um, We're going to go back and forth, ask you rapid fire questions. You're going to say the first thing that comes to your mind, and then we'll move on to the next one. Okay. I told you I'm a wild card, but so. I know, which I'm very excited. So I can't (laughs) wait. (laughs) All right. So here we go. Ready, set, and go. Jamie, what is your go-to drink or activity after a long day in the classroom? Honestly, iced coffee. <laughs> I just, I know it gets me hyped up, but that's it. What are you enjoying most about your job as we wrap up the school year? Oh, really? Like saying goodbye to the students and just seeing their happy faces as they leave <laughs> and say, see you next summer <laughs> and a little bit of planning for next year. So what is your favorite way to keep things fresh year after year in the classroom? I have about five years worth of material and I could never teach the same thing for five years. And I still design new things all the time. What is the funniest thing a kid or a teacher has said to you this year? Uh, I thought you were only 30. And last but not least, what are you looking forward to during summer vacation? I'm going on an Alaskan cruise with my family, my daughters and my niece and all their men. Hey, we did it in a minute and 20 seconds. We're, we're getting the record. We're getting, we are better. getting a lot better. <laughs> also, I totally feel like uh, kids in general are like super bad at telling the ages of their teachers, like really bad. Yeah. <laughs> they are so I mentioned bad I'm turning 40 in a couple of weeks. And one of my kids goes, I thought you were like 21. And I'm like, you're adorable. You yeah. can have an A. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said. I said, I. I can't give you an A for saying that, but clearly you deserve it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're on to our second game, uh, which, you know, I'm not great at. 
So Georgia, be kind. <laughs> oh, I, I will try to be kind. Um, this is my favorite because I like random things. And so this is Storymatic. So uh, I picked two cards. One is usually a character and one is some sort of action. And then we'll assign beginning, middle, and end. So I'll tell you our cards so you can think, and then we'll tell you beginning, middle, and end. All so right. our character is a carnival worker. And our action or direction is, if only what was said could be taken back. A carnival worker, and if only what was said could be taken back. So we have 60 seconds, and I have three cards. I'm going to pull. We um, each will get a, either a beginning, middle, and end. Um, just a spoiler, because this has happened before. If you're the beginning, you do not have to tell the whole story in the beginning. You can get ready to hand it off. All right. So Jamie, since you're our guest, the first card I pulled was you're the end. All right. So Jamie, you're the end. Okay. Jessica, Jessica is the beginning. And that leaves me the middle. All right. So carnival worker, if only what was said could be taken back. Louis put on his overalls for the 475th time and walked out from underneath one of those carnival rides that goes around in circles and often makes people sick to their stomach. And he was looking around the little park and thinking to himself, this is going to be a very interesting day. The ride he worked on was called the hell hole. And when it spun, it stuck people to the side of the ride with centrifugal force. And it was, it was crazy and people would get sick. And Louis, Louis was getting tired of his job. And so he went to his boss and he said, you know, I am sick of working on this. I am sick and tired of people throwing up on me and I quit. And so his, I don't want to work this anymore. So his boss said, you know what? I'm going to put you on a different ride. And so what he ended up doing is putting him on the Ferris wheel and on the, where on the Ferris wheel, when people got sick, the, the vomit would fall on his head rather than on the front. And instead of sweeping it up off the floor, he had to clean it off his hat. The end. Well done. Well done. And 25 seconds. I'm like, where is this story going to go? Oh my God. We are fully committing to like vomiting right now. <laughs> well, if you've ever been on one of those rides, you know, I mean, that could totally happen. I get extremely motion sick. So like, this sounds like my worst nightmare. <laughs> I am not a good friend at the fair. <laughs> You're the one who holds the, holds the things, the, the backpack, the purse or whatever. Yes. And I spend an inordinate amount of time eating like the fried sweet bread. Like oh, that's well, It is amazing. super delicious. Like funnel cake. Well, no, we call them elephant ears in Washington. Oh. But down here, it's like fry bread, where it's oh, like, like those the, big like, pieces. That, yes. Yeah. And then the cinnamon and the sugar. And I'm like, oh, I'll hold down the fry bread. I got this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, thank you, Jamie, for joining us for a good chat today and a couple of our favorite games. We always love playing with um, guests. And, and you told a good story today, my friend. So thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. It was fun.
Thanks. And thank you listeners for joining us on Storytelling Saves the World. Our show notes can be found on our website, storytellingsavestheworld.com. And hey, if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud and give us a review. And if you have an idea for our podcast, please email us via the contact form on our website. We'd love to hear from you. Again, that's storytellingsavestheworld.com. Until next time, what's your story? 